Glory be to God. I want to, if I can, draw your attention to the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. <clears throat> I'm sorry I failed to give, give the uh, sound booth the, the uh, scriptures, so you're just going to have to be on your P's and Q's. 1 Kings chapter 17, first seven verses is where I'd like to draw your attention to tonight and just believe that the Lord's going to speak to us. How many of you understand that God speaks to us out of his word? Amen. If he's not speaking to you out of your word, check your heart and ask him to open up your heart. David said, open mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy word. Amen. So check, amen, what's going on inside because I promise you every time you open up your word, he wants to implant that within your heart. Glory be to God. Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. Glory be to God. Amen. Sweeter. The psalmist said it's sweeter than the honeycomb. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. We could go on and on and on about the word. Amen. I just hope that it's something that you really take uh, full advantage of. For certainly, amen, we have such a, uh, such a blessing and such a privilege of being able to open up the word of God and let God speak to us in 2023 about what this world is and how that he's going to protect us and drive us and draw us in these last days. Amen. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1 through 7, uh, real quickly. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went, and he did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Praise the Lord. Keep your Bibles open. I'd like to use this as a, as a uh, text tonight to share with you what I feel like. Amen, has been uh, mentioned at least uh, a good bit in the last several months and just something that's been kind of turning in my mind. And, uh, and I'd like to just title my thoughts tonight if I could, and that is this, the line has been drawn. Amen. Brother Jeff's mentioned it. Amen. Pastor has mentioned it. Amen. That a line has been drawn. And I want to use the life of Elijah to kind of share with you what I feel like God has for this church, amen, and for those of you that are willing to let God take you where he wants you to go. How many of you want to go where God goes? Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's ask God to touch us tonight. Lord, we just thank you. We come to you tonight humbly. Lord God, expecting that you're going to do great and mighty things in this hour. Lord, let your words speak to our hearts. Let the Spirit of the Lord begin to move in a mighty way. Lord, and have your perfect will and way in this service We'll be quick to praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 
and amen. Glory be to God. A challenge that has been set for us as a church, amen, to push forward in what God is going to do, amen, in the hearts and lives of his people. Now, I've always, at least since I've been a believer, I've always been of the mindset that the Lord is not going to come back for any less than what he left. Amen. He's not going to come back for any less of a church than the kind of a church that he left on planet earth. Praise the Lord. What are you talking about? When he left, amen, he left a church that was blood-bought. Praise the Lord. He left a church, amen, that was filled with the Spirit. Praise the Lord. He left a church that knew what it was to evangelize and to take this gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Hallelujah. I don't believe in the hour that we're living in, friends, uh, that God's going to come back for a broken down system uh, that doesn't know how to get a hold of him. Uh, he's not coming back for a broken down, uh, amen, religious icon, uh, amen, that resembles uh, what may have or could have been. Uh, but I believe that God's coming back for a church, uh, amen, without spot or wrinkle uh, or any such blemish, uh, but that has a longing in their hearts uh, for the things of God. Can you say amen? That's who I believe God's coming back for. Amen. A glorious church. Amen. A blood-bought church. A spirit-filled. Amen. A heaven-born, heaven-bound church that is eager, amen, to see if he doesn't come back today. We're eager to see him being demonstrated to this world. Amen. In the days to come. Praise the Lord. Think about it like this. The Lord's got one, or the way I see it, there's one of two options you and I as believers have. The Lord's either going to come for his church, that's the rapture, amen, or the Lord is going to come to his church, and that's revival. Guess what? If you're a part of the church, either way, we're a winner. Can you say amen? I said we are the winners. Glory be to God. Revival or rapture, even so, come Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, Elijah, amen. The story that, we, uh, that I read to you tonight begins with a man by the name of Elijah. In fact, this is where his life begins as far as everything that we know about him. We don't know very much about him at all. What I read to you tonight is basically the background, uh, the pedigree of what we understand about Elijah. We don't know much about his family, maybe not know anything if the history books don't share it with us. Don't know who his mom and his dad were, if he had any siblings, don't know his age or anything of that nature. Uh, but we do know a little bit about him, and I thought this to be a little humorous, at least in my mind, my, my uh, weird way of thinking. The Bible does say that he was of the inhabitants of Gilead. He was a Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead. Now, I looked that up. Gilead is a very hilly terrain, a, play, a country place, uh, amen, uh, that's, uh, that's kind of off the beaten path. You might say that he was a, a backwoods preacher. You might even go so far as to say he was a hillbilly holy roller. Getting right there where you live. We don't know nothing about the hills around here. You might could stretch the text a little bit and say he could have come from Arkansas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know. 
I'm just throwing that in there because that's just that from the context of what I know, we know he's a backwoods preacher. Praise the Lord. Boy, don't you like backwoods preachers? Amen. I've got some friends of mine that come from the hill country. Amen. And they tell me about how that they got their gospel training. Uh, amen. When it come to preaching, and that was uh, they would go out into the hollers uh, and they would holler. Praise the Lord. Uh, they'd just get along with the Lord, uh, speak to God, pray. Amen. Seek God's face uh, and let God talk back to them. Praise the Lord. Uh, amen. I know this world doesn't put a lot of stock in that. In fact, uh, this world and many in this world will say, uh, if you talk to God, you're crazy. But if you say God talks to you, you've done flipped your lid. But I can tell you right now, I'm glad to tell you God still talks. Amen. To a people that have an ear to hear what the Spirit of God says. He still talks. He still talks. Are you listening? Amen. What was that commercial? When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Amen. Isn't it funny? When people, you start talking about money, everybody perks up. But when eternal life is being shared, I don't want to hear anything about that. But I can tell you tonight, God's talking. Amen. Are we listening? Speak, Lord. Remember how Samuel, or, or, yeah, Samuel had gotten the call to, uh, to follow after God. He thought that it was Eli that was speaking. And as he heard that voice, he said, he's, he ran to Eli several times. Yes, you've called me, man. I haven't called you. Finally, Eli was of enough, of enough sense to say, when you hear that again, just simply respond, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. And I think, that's, in, I think that's, a, that's a prescription for us that we can benefit from every day. You know why? Because God still speaks every day, every day. The book of Hebrews says, in, the, in, in times past, God spoke in many different ways and in many different forms. But in these last days, he hath spoken unto us by his son, Jesus Christ. What is he saying to you and I tonight? Well, I want to share a few of those things that I believe God is speaking to the church. And I'm not going to speak to the church beyond the walls. Amen. Maybe those, of the, those that are watching by uh, live stream or whatever, they can benefit from this. But I want to speak tonight about our church. Amen. About this church. Mag Church. So I believe... Really and truly, I believe this is a divine appointed place and time for what God wants to do. Amen. I believe that. I believe that. Praise the Lord. And so uh, one of the things that we do know, and I, I, uh, I found this to be interesting in the book of James chapter 5, James does talk to us a little bit about what he understood from the life of Elijah. James said of Elijah, he said that he was a man of like passions as we are. That is, he, was, he struggled with things. Amen. He was, he was challenged with a lot of different things um, in his very own life. Amen. The Scripture lets us know that he was a man of like passions as you and I, but he prayed. Amen. Notice that statement, but he prayed. Sure, he longed for the zeal and the glory of the Lord to be restored. You can find that in how he responds to God. God, I'm the only one left. I want to see the glory of the Lord revealed to Israel. I'm the only one left. There's that zeal. There's that hunger. There's that desire to see God's glory restored. He was a little off in his numbers. Amen. The Lord told him, hey, I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Amen. 
I want you to know you're not alone. But he longed for that. Amen. He spoke the truth concerning Israel's sin and what it would take for her to recover. Amen. He was just like what you and I are. He recognized there was a lot of problems. He declared the word of the Lord with boldness. So much so, amen, that he would stand in just a few moments. He would stand with his finger pointed toward, uh, toward Ahab. As Ahab would look to him and say, are you the one that's causing this trouble in Israel? He'd point his finger back at him and say, it isn't me, but it's you, buddy. It's you that's stirring up all this strife. It's you that has got God turned against us. And if you don't repent, you'll perish. Amen. That's the kind of, that's the kind of tenacity that Elijah had. That's the kind of fortitude. He wasn't willing to back down from the truth. Amen. May, may we stand today for the truth. May you and I as believers stand today for the truth. Amen. The truth still sets men free. Can you say Amen. It still does. It still does. Sometimes you have to put your finger in the nose of this world, the face of this world, and say, you're the problem. Amen. Sometimes, um, amen, we have to be that bold. And Elijah was that bold. He put, his, he put his finger in the face of Ahab and said, you're the problem. But it wasn't but another chapter, and he's running for his life. Amen. We find him, you know, so, so the emotional tide of Elijah, there's highs and lows, there's ins and outs, there's ebb and flow that's happening in him because he is a man of like passions as you and I. Amen. He would, he would be on victory, uh, the, 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 the mountain of victory in one moment. And then the next day, he might find himself in a cave. In fact, I've got some notes that I wrote in my Bible. Amen. The original caveman. You know what I'm talking about. Elijah hid himself in the cave. Amen. I, I, I beg to differ with those who believe that we came, amen, from uh, descended from monkeys or anything like that. Quite honestly, I don't think the monkeys want to claim kin. But anyway, I just uh, throw that in there for a little. Make sure you're still awake. Hallelujah. But he was a man of like passions as you and I. He hurt like you and I. He wept like you and I. Experienced depression, discouragement uh, like you and I. But his, uh, but his, uh, uh, his testimony doesn't end there. Uh, amen. Uh, your testimony doesn't have to end there. Uh, it doesn't have to end, uh, amen, with your epitaph being uh, that you were discouraged, uh, that you were despondent, uh, that you were depressed. Uh, amen. But it can be uh, that he prayed. Praise the Lord. Uh, but he prayed. Hallelujah. What a difference prayer makes. What a difference prayer makes. I want to look at a few things that connect, a few things out of his life that connect to the revival that God has for, for this church, for Mag Church. And I want you to consider becoming a part of that. Not just in body but in participation and in spirit. We can pretend, we can, we, we, there's no problem being here in the physical. We've got that down. Amen. Put it in drive, and you don't hit park until you hit the parking lot. It's pretty simple. But let's go beyond just showing up. Amen. And I want to share a few of those things with you this evening. In, in, in verse number 4, chapter 17, in verse number 4, the Bible says, the Lord, you know, the Lord had talked to him and it says, And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook 
and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. God tells Elijah to get there. Where? Well, we know specifically where he told him to go. To the brook Cherith. Amen. The entire nation is in a severe drought. The entire nation is in a severe, there's a scarcity of food and water. Everything is going topsy-turvy. But because Elijah was willing to get where God told him to get, and because Elijah was willing to go where God told him to go, he was going to be sustained by God in ways that he could have never thought, he could have never imagined, he could have never dreamed in a million years that God was going to provide for him that way. Amen. That doesn't even enter into the psyche of our human understanding. But God, amen, when God told him, said, you get there and I'll sustain you there. Amen. All we've got to do Amen. Is concern ourselves with getting there. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter how you get there. If you get there on skateboard, if you get there on running shoes, it doesn't matter. All you need to do, friend, is make sure that you get there. Get there. Elijah was willing to go and do what God called him to do. Amen. And when he put himself in that position, Amen. It was God's responsibility to hold up to his end of the word. Don't be surprised at the way God sustains you in your moments of obedience. See, this world looks at sustaining power in different forms. Not that we disagree necessarily with all of the ways that the world looks at it, but they look at it from a natural state of, uh, of things. I mean, I can't tell you how many people that I talk to that, uh, you know, when we start talking about things, we always talk about age, when you're going to retire, when you're going to quit doing this, when you're going to quit doing that. Well, when I got enough money in my 401k and whatever. You know, my boss tried to introduce me to a 401k. I said, I am not running that far. <laughs> I might go a 5k with you, but I ain't going 401k. This world looks at the survival of things in a much different way than you and I do. We were singing that when we were singing that song earlier. The uh, the scripture came to my mind, and this has nothing to do with my sermon. It just is, it just come to my mind. The scripture came to my mind where 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 Jesus was at the the wedding of Cana and Galilee. And how many of you remember the story where he turned the water into wine? And I remember hearing the story of a preacher, and uh, somebody had asked the preacher, I guess it was uh, maybe kind of a snarky, uh, snarky type of an approach, went to the preacher kind of condescendingly, said, you say you're a preacher, have you ever done anything like what the Lord did in turning water into wine? He said, I've never done it. Have you ever even seen God turn water into wine? He said, I've never seen it, but that doesn't deny the fact that it happened. He said, but I can tell you this. He said, I have, through my years of seeing people get born again, I have seen God turn wine into money. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I've seen God take the drunkard and put money back into his pocket when he was taking it away and buying it on booze. 
He said, I've seen God turn wine into furniture. <laughs> Think about it. I've seen God turn wine into a job. I've seen God turn wine into a vehicle. Well, now you just getting out there. Oh, no, no. You want to ask me what God's done? I'm trying to tell you what I know God has done. Praise the Lord. Why would God do that? Because when you get there, it doesn't matter what's there when you get there. The all-sustaining power of God has already showed up and will stay with you there. Get there. Get there. Think about it this way. God took, what did he say? He said, Elijah, when you get there, I have already commanded the ravens to feed you there. I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. God took the buzzard's first cousin, a vulture, and made him the first DoorDash employee. He sure enough did. Uber Eats, whatever you want to call it. You get there and I'll bring it to you. Wow. Wow. And you think about, you think about it for a moment. Again, can you think... Could you prescribe that way as a way, of, uh, as a way of sustaining you? Would you have ever considered that? Every time you see a, bull, a, a vulture or a buzzard, you know where we see them, what we see them doing. In fact, you can drive 95 miles an hour straight to them, and they'll just a little bit out of the way so they can get back to the food. You understand what I'm saying? They're not, they not leaving that carcass very long. I don't care if it's a big rig 18-wheeler coming down with all those horns blowing. They're not getting out of the way very far until they get back to the buffet. Praise the Lord. But somehow or another, uh, the almighty hand of God uh, knew how to take that mind of that buzzard. Uh, amen. Twisted in such a way uh, that it didn't find a dead carcass anywhere. Uh, amen. But found a rack of lamb. Uh, amen. Maybe found a ribeye. Uh, amen. Maybe a T-bone steak. Uh, amen. Picked it up and flew it across, amen, to where that man of God was and he deposited it there for him in the morning and in the evening. Can you say amen? Wow. Why would you do that, God? Because you're there and that's where I've commanded you to be. I have commanded you and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Let me just throw this in. Don't starve yourself by not being there. What am I talking about when I'm saying being there? We'll get into that in a little bit. I'm not talking about being somebody God hadn't called you to be. I'm not talking about doing something God called somebody else to do. If God placed it on your heart that you need to be at this church, opening doors, greeting people and saying, we're glad to have you be here and be a part of us, be there. If God has put it into your heart um, that you need to be teaching a Sunday school class, um, amen, don't worry what anybody says, uh, be there. 
Praise the Lord. You know why? Because the miracle comes in the obedience to what God has called you to do. Praise the Lord. I, I never will forget. Amen. I never will forget the time that God had called me to do a certain thing for him. I, I scratched my head. Lord, are you sure about that? Sure, I'm sure about that. It started out with one. It didn't end with one, but it started out with one. I can assure you today, amen, when God calls you to do something, it may not be glitz and glamorous. It may not have big lights, amen, and all the fanfare, but if you will get where God called you to be, there will be a miraculous that happens every single day. When you get there, when you get there where God told you to get, there will be power. How do you know? Because power is connected to obedience. It's just that way. It is just that way. Power is connected to obedience. Get there, there'll be power. When you get there, when you get to where God has told you to get, there's going to be peace. Now, I want you to think about it for me, well, with me for just a moment. Notice where Elijah is called to get by the brook Cherith. Nobody else is there. How many of you understand, sometimes that can be a very peaceful place. It's been said before from this pulpit, you know, uh, Life is fine. It's just the people in it that mess it up. <laughs> and sometimes that's some, sometimes it's kind of a, a weird phenomenon. Sometimes we need to be surrounded by people, and sometimes we need to be as far away from anybody as we can get. Sometimes you have to come apart before you come apart. All right? Here he is. It's going to be about a three-and-a-half-year time span. This isn't a vacation. This isn't, a, uh, this isn't a resort club in that regard. This is him in that, play, that crucible of, 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 of proving, the proving ground, if you will. When he gets there where God has called him to get, there is, there's peace. Amen. He's disconnected from the rat race mentality of life. And friends, that'll wear you out. You want to you, you know what a wore out mindset looks like and feels like at the end of the day, it's trying to keep up with the Joneses. Amen. Trying to feel like that I have a responsibility to keep up with the Joneses. <clears throat> Amen. When you get there where God has told you to be, again, there's going to be provision. What did the psalmist David say? I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging for bread. Never seen it. Amen. He said, I won't see it. I won't see it. So there's power, there's peace, there's provision. Here's, here, here's something that's going to get us into what I really wanted. That's just the warm-up. That's the introduction. I'm gonna get, I, don't, I don't like long-winded preachers, so I won't be long. How about that? When you get where God's called you to be and told you to be, there's going to be preparation. What do you mean by that? The brook began to dry up. Amen. I can, I can tell you this. Here's a caution. God told him to get there. He still has to maintain a listening ear of what God wants out of him next. You see, the, the, the trouble that sometimes we get into in the church 
is we hear God tell us something, and then we quit listening at that point. You told me to get here. That's all I'm going to do for the rest of my life is be there. Well, you know what? You can become, you can become stagnant, stale, and indifferent if you stay there when God's still speaking to you on and on and on. It's a progressive voice. God is speaking in a progressive manner to us. Sure, all right, today he's called you to do this. Does he want you to do that tomorrow? Refresh that calling. Renew that calling. Restore that calling. Amen. What did David say in Psalm 51? To, to, certainly to that degree. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Amen. There's a restoration work that God's doing all the time. If I live the rest of my life at Brook Cherith, just because I heard him say at one time, get there, and I've shut my ears off spiritually, I might miss out what God has for me next. I've got to maintain an ear. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying unto the church. God is still speaking is what I'm telling you. So he's in preparation. Preparation for what? For the next move. The brook's going to dry up. The raven is going to quit coming. Things are getting ready to turn. To turn chap the, the chapters are turning, all right? A war. It's, a, it's time for battle. And here's a few things about this line in the sand that I want you to pay attention to that pertains to us. A few things. If we're going to take this line that is drawn in the sand and take it as a serious injunction or a serious, let me, let me, let me take that word back, not injunction. If we're going to take that as a serious admonition to go with it for this body of believers, I found three things in here that I think are a must for you and I. And that is this. We must be people of intercessory prayer. What do you mean? I mean this, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1, Paul told Timothy, he said, first of all, that supplication and prayer should be made for all men. Praise the Lord. The wretched place that Israel in our text was in was a direct result of their lack of praying and obeying the voice of the Lord. Amen. They had come through that time in their life. They had come through that season in their life where they had made the decision, we're going to seek out our own uh, king and we'll do what's right in our own eyes. Anytime that anybody gets there, that's danger already in the making. Praise the Lord. Um, and so as we come to where Elijah is trying to steer this, uh, uh, correct this, uh, the, the ship that's gone wayward, um, amen, we find him being uh, an intercessory prayer warrior. James tells us again, amen, that he was a man of like passions, but he prayed. Praise the Lord. Listen, there's going to, there's no sense in going through the motions. There's no sense in going through this, uh, the calisthenics of things. Amen. Going through the religious routines regularly and routinely. There's no sense in doing all of that. Amen. If we're not going to give God a heart that is responsive, amen, to what it is that he's saying. I'm not telling you that. That prayer is the answer. I, I'm telling you, prayer coupled with obedience uh, is the answer. Amen. Uh, I can tell you, we can pray all day long, uh, but if we don't obey what God's telling us, uh, amen, all we're doing, uh, amen, is wasting our breath. Praise the Lord. Can you say amen? I remember very clearly flying into the Middle East, amen, in a, play, in a war zone. 
Amen. We got our we got our vehicles off of our, that C-141 uh, uh, aircraft. We backed our Humvees off. We're all in our military garb, and we're ready to head out to the desert to where we can free the world of whatever ails us. You know, uh, here we are driving down the uh, uh, down the uh, the road, and and all of a sudden, every vehicle that wasn't a military vehicle started darting off of the road. I'm thinking, man, we're fixing to get bombed now. What's going on? I watched them. They got out of their vehicle. I mean, I was puzzled. What are they doing? They pull off the side of the road, open up their trunks. Sure enough, they're getting the comic, they're getting the bazookas out. They're fixing to blow us up. They got their prayer rugs out. They prayed their 15 minutes. Got in their car, went on about their way. A few hours later, all after a few days of watching that happen and knowing the time schedule of what they did, you know, we could pretty much set our clock by it. Yeah, here in about 10 minutes, everybody's going to start darting off the road. It would have been a good business to have a tow truck, you know, <laughs> pulling them out of the ditches. Five times a day, they prayed. Is this world any better because they're praying five times? No. In fact, a lot of the, a lot of the problems that we have in this world is because of that. A lot of the problems that we have in this world are because of there's, a, there's a religious mindset that, yeah, I've got to go through my penance or I've got to go through my routine. I've got to go through my motion. I've got to do this. If I pray five times, Allah's going to hear me. Whatever God that I'm praying to is going to. Listen, it's not about you praying. It's about you obeying. Amen. Certainly prayer puts you in a position and it puts you in a posture to be able to hear from God. Uh, amen. But if all that we do is bump our gums and tell God what we want to tell him, uh, but we don't listen to what it is he's wanting to talk to us about, uh, amen, there's no reason to believe, uh, amen, that we're going to see the revival that God wants us to have. Can you say amen? No reason to believe. But as we pray, Lord, speak. You've got a willing vessel that's willing to hear what you have to say. We must be people of intercessory prayer. Amen. Psalms chapter 126 and verse number 5 says, They that sow in tears will reap in joy. Amen. There's a mandate that has been given to Mag Church that includes you and I, but it requires that you and I become people of intercessory prayer. Praise the Lord. Genesis chapter 18 shows us the story of where Abraham was confronted by the Lord and a few, a, a few angels. And as Abraham stood, verse number 22 says that he stood before the Lord and he asked the Lord. He said this, Lord, will you restore or will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Amen. And the Lord, he began to have this conversation with the Lord. He said, will you save Sodom and Gomorrah? Why is he praying for Sodom and Gomorrah? Why is he worried about there? He's got family there. Amen. There's a, there's, there, there's a news flash that it's fixed to be singed. It's fixed to be torched. Amen. He's got family there. I don't want them to be destroyed. Lord, will you destroy the city for 50 righteous? No. I'll spare it for 50 righteous. Let me think about it. How about 45? Let me recount. How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? I mean, what is he doing? He's asking God, Lord, will you spare, amen, the righteous before you judge the unrighteous? You know what he's doing? Uh, intercessory prayer uh, is staying the hand of God long enough uh, for the mercies of God uh, to rescue the righteous uh, out of that pit of destruction. Who knows what your prayer for somebody else is going to withhold? All of us really had the idea and the mentality we wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for, and we could name somebody that was praying for me. 
because we know and understand and believe the power of praying. We know and understand and believe that God works through intercessors. Amen. One of the greatest tools the church of the living God has at our disposal that is free of charge is intercessory prayer. But I promise you, it's one of the hardest things that we'll ever do. Why? Because it's so effective. The devil will cause you to have reason not to do it. Amen. And it don't have to be all day. And it don't have to be so drawn out that uh, uh, you, you, you understand what I'm saying? You can be stopped at a red light. Just be cautious of the people behind you because they need to get somewhere too. But be stopped at a red light and pray something through. Amen. You can, you can be waiting in line at the restaurant in your vehicle. You can pray something through. You can pray for somebody. Abraham stood in that place of intercession, and the Lord, with his mercy and grace, pulled out his family before destruction came. Intercessory prayer, amen, is vital to what God is doing and wanting to do in this church. Romans chapter 8 tells us it's a chapter full of things that we can understand uh, or things that we can't quite understand about the Lord, but that how God still works in our lack of understanding. And it all deals with how the Spirit works interconnected with you and I as agents of redemption. And Paul goes on, goes on to say something like this. He said, sometimes he said, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. I just can't put it into words. We don't know how to pray for us, but the Spirit himself prays through us. Sometimes with groanings and utterings that cannot be understood. People think, that's, that's crazy. No, that's, that's God. Paul would say it at another point in 1 Corinthians. He would say, I'll pray with my understanding and I'll pray in the Spirit. There's things I can clearly understand and clearly see that they need prayer. But there's other things that God puts on your heart that you don't have a clue what it is. I had somebody text me yesterday. They sent me a text message yesterday and said, I haven't thought about you in a long time, but you've been on my heart today and I've been praying for you today. You know what I texted them back? Don't stop. Don't stop. Amen. Add it to tomorrow's list of things to do. Intercessory prayer. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 12. Isaiah shared a prophecy about the Savior. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You know, you know the, uh, the, the uh, verses that I'm talking about. But the point that Isaiah shares with us is in verse number 12. The latter part of verse number 12 says he, talking about Jesus, he made intercession for the transgressors. Who is he talking about? You and I. He, Christ, made, made intercession for the transgressors. Where do you find that out? Look at his last works on planet earth. Prior to him drawing his last breath, he's dying on the cross. Amen. And in his last and final act on planet earth, he's found an intercessory prayer praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's beyond my ability to do. But it's not beyond his ability to do it through me. Do you understand the difference?
That's beyond something that I can do. The guy that done me wrong, the guy that honked, you know, I've told you about the guy. I've seen him at the light. He had a bumper sticker on it said, honk if you love Jesus. Well, I gave him a honk. Dude shot me the finger. I wanted to run my truck into his. That's, that's me. That's who I am. Or at least put a nail in his tire. I mean, come on. We've got to get some justification here. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's just mean there. That's just mean there. <laughs> yeah. There's things that God asked me to do that I can't do. That doesn't mean I can't be available for him to do it through me. There's a big difference there. It is no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. What is one of the things, if the line has been drawn, if we're going to, if we're going to rise to that challenge, we've got to be people of intercessory prayer. Chapter 18, verse number 30 is a scripture I want to read to you real quickly. Second thing that I believe, that I see in this, in this episode of Elijah, verse number 30, Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me, and all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. I'm not going to re rehearse the entire story, but you know the gist of the story. He told Ahab, he said, you get the prophets of Baal and of the groves, you get them here on Mount Carmel, two ox, y'all take one, I'll take the other, prepare it, let the God that answers by fire, let it be God. You, you got your, boy, there's a sucker born every day, that's what they were thinking. 850 to 1, how many of you like those odds? But you see, they're praying to a dead God, which is a zero. So what is 850 times zero? Zero. One always wins against zero. Never thought of it like that, right? 850 to one in the natural. Is he worried? Not at all. He's where God's called him to be. He said, they, they pray. You know the story. They pray. They, they uh, uh, leap up on the altar. They cut themselves. They beat themselves. I mean, uh, I, I would feel like this is just my interpretation. I feel like if we were able to travel back in time and send send a news, uh, a news camera group there at that meeting and video it and then come forward to our time frame today and let them video the same thing going on at a rock concert, it'd probably be the same exact stuff. Probably look a lot, a lot the same. Whole lot alike. Just a bunch. And, and there's some reasons for that. They're not ashamed of an altar. But the altar doesn't give them any, any help and support. Think about it. They've got some religious connotations about them. They're, they're willing to do what they can do at the altar. They'll even jump up and down on the altar. A friend of mine told me they had, they had quit assembling, quit uh, going to a, a particular youth camp that they'd gone to forever because this last year they brought their youth, their youth to the youth camp. And when, when the altar service time came, whoever was there preaching the altar service drove a motorcycle on top of the altar, planted a motorcycle on top of the altar. I, I don't know what the connection of it was and all that, but I thought, you know, that's almost, that's almost blasphemy to some degree. You know what I mean? That's, that's, the altar is not a display 
of, 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 of showmanship. It's a place of death. That's where you come to die. And that's why it's not important. And that's why it's not popular. Because people don't like dying. We're going to do everything we can to try and stay alive. But there's parts of us that have to die. And that part that has to die is connected to the promise that God has given to us. And so here they are. Nonetheless, he's beat, they, they beat the altar up. They've tore it down. They've cut themselves. And finally, uh, through all of that, Elijah gives them one last hope. Look, he's a God. Y'all said he was a God. Y'all either, he's either asleep and you need to wake him up. He's either on a journey, you need to call him back. Either he's over here or whatever. But something's not working out right. So y'all just get out of the way. Let me throw this in. It's not enough to curse the darkness. We have to be the light. I can tell you all day long that your plan doesn't work, but if I ain't got a better one, you know what? I'm a hypocrite. I'm a fool just like you if I can't give you a solution to what you're beating your head against the wall with. Simply put, what did he do? He repaired the altar. I think the church is at a detrimental place. Not this church particularly. The church in law, at large is in a detrimental place. And that is we have to identify the fact that the altars have been broken down. That maybe they don't exist like they should. Maybe they're not connected to our personal life like God wants them to be connected to our lives. Amen. The importance of a restored altar. Amen. He saw all the fanaticism. He saw all the display there, but none of it was going to bring the fire. None of it was going to bring what, what, what God told him would happen. Amen. When, when all of their efforts were exhausted and there was still no fire, amen, he took up the task of rebuilding that altar. Praise the Lord. I can tell you this. It's not easy. It's not easy. The book of 1 John reminds us that all things, if left to their natural course of direction, always tend toward destruction or towards corruption is the word that he uses. But it talks about how if we just don't do anything, we dilapidate. Take that prized car of yours, that prized whatever, that boat. Take, take your, your favorite whatever. Put it somewhere and don't do nothing with it. Your tendency is to believe that it's going to be perfectly fine when I go to it in 10 years. But the reality is it's probably going to be rusted, seized up, and no good for nothing. Why? Because everything left in its natural state of things tends to turn toward corruption. That's why there has to be an active participation in rebuilding the altar. And it's hard. It's not easy. But it's necessary. Amen. I, uh, in, Bible, in Bible college, I had a, I had a, a, a Bible school uh, teacher, uh, Brother G.D. Tucker. He had pastored many years before uh, becoming a, a, a professor. And he talked about how that the church that he, uh, he pastored at one time, here somewhere in uh, North Texas area, uh, they had, uh, the, the board had met and they decided that they were going to, you know, kind of change the order of things. And he was an old-fashioned preacher. You know, and they had altars in the church and all this. And they're, they're going to do away with all the altars. And they're going to do away with all those songbooks. And they're going to do away with all this other stuff. He said, all right, y'all do what y'all want to do. You know, I know I'm the pastor, but y'all do what y'all want to do. He had an ulterior motive. They, 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 uh, they, they put that all together midweek some, sometime. He said, early Saturday morning when nobody was at the church, I came in and I formed me up some altars out of plywood. 
And I called the cement truck. He said, I poured me some cement altars. And I begged them to take them out. He said, do you know they stayed there as long as I did? He said, no, I don't know what they did after I left, but while I was there, the altar stayed there. <laughs> he said, and it took me being that bullheaded to push through their stubbornness in order for God to bring about a revival because they were thinking of things in the wrong way. The altar is not a, uh, is not a symbol of worship. The altar is not a place where, where we, we, we worship this instrument. We worship this, this, uh, this icon. That's not what the altar is. The altar is a place of sacrifice. In fact, the book of Psalms tells us this. is bind the sacrifice to the altar. Bind it there. In the Old Testament, the prescription for man's sin being rolled forward was to bring a sacrifice to the altar, the brazen altar. The altar is a place of judgment. That's the brazenness of it. Elijah, what are you going to do? If you're going to see this thing turn around, what are you going to do? I'm going to repair the altar. Acts chapter 17, Brother Jeff mentioned it this morning as he was preaching. Paul saw this group. They weren't without an altar, but they were without knowledge of who that altar represented. In fact, they went, went so far as to say this, it's to the unknown God. Paul said this word to him. He said, I perceive that in all things thou art superstitious. That word superstitious is translated religious. I believe that they're religious. You've got all the trappings of religion, but where's the fire? Where's the fire? Amen. Put the altar back together. Build the altar. Put on it what God's called you to put on it. Even if God challenges you to wet it down, think about this. Where did he go to get the water? It's been a drought three and a half years. In fact, if you read prior to this, Obadiah and Ahab separated parted ways. Obadiah went one way and Ahab went the other way. Ahab told him this and we've got to find some relief somewhere. This is just food for thought. Throw this out. We'll preach on this a different day. What are we doing? We've got to go find some water for our beasts. We've got to keep this beast alive. There's too many people trying to keep the beast alive. That, that, that passion that's not even supposed to be there anyway. Let me work to keep that alive. Even in a drought, I want to work to keep that alive. And so as they went their way looking, so where did they have to go to get some water? Evidently they had to go to far off, some, maybe, maybe, uh, uh, maybe toward the, the, uh, the, the, the sea, however far that was. But he told them, said, bring the barrels of water, pour it on, go get some more. Man, you, you see the challenge that's there? You see him stacking the odds against? Let the God that answers by fire, let him be God. Let's wet this thing down. If he's God, water don't bother him. If he's truly God, it doesn't matter. Pour more, pour more. Twelve barrels of water they poured on the sacrifice. In fact, the trench around the place was filled up. And in 63 words, 63 words, fire, the Bible says fire fell from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, consumed the altar, consumed the rocks, and consumed the water and licked up the dust that was on the ground. Think about that. That's power. Amen. That's authority. That's God. You know what that is? That's God meeting a man that says, Lord, I want to turn this thing around and I'm willing to rebuild the altar if that's what it takes. Uh, Lord, if I'll rebuild an altar, will you come visit it? That's God saying, yeah, I'll visit it and I'll show you how great 
away, I'll visit that. And then finally, Brother Radden, if you want to come, the third thing, not only must be people of intercessory prayer, we must rebuild the altar, but verse number 31, I like what this is. I like this part here. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. Elijah took 12 stones. All right. 12 stones. Why is he doing that? He's putting them in arrangement because God had called out the 12 tribes of Israel. But if you'll look real close, at this time, 12 tribes aren't together. You've got 10 tribes that are interconnected, but Simeon and Judah have already stepped into their inheritance that they couldn't wait for any longer, and so they're already on the, uh, on the northern side of the country. What is he doing here? He's bringing things together in unity. He's bringing the nation back to unity. Now, I want to caution, I want to caution you tonight, and if you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear this for sure. God has not called us into the spirit of unity. He's not called us into the spirit of unity. The KKK have the spirit of unity. The Black Lives Matter has a spirit of unity. The Muslim Brotherhood has the spirit of unity. But God has called us to be in unity with the spirit. It's a big difference. There's a big difference. You know what that difference is, and you know how that, that works out? If we're all in the spirit of unity, if we're trying to follow the spirit of unity, we may, all, we may not all agree that I like the carpet red. The ones that don't like it red, well, bless God, I'm going to go down the church. I'm going to go down the road where the church is red. That's babysitting. I've seen churches split over less than that. I've seen churches split because they want to do away with Sunday night service. Yeah, let's do away with it. All right, you want to do away with it? I got to go somewhere else. I've seen churches split over some of the not nastiest, what I would say dumbest stuff because we can't get unified. God didn't ask you to agree with the color of the carpet. He didn't ask you to agree with what color shirt I have. We've got it backwards. That's the cliques and the clans. That's the, that's the uh, schisms and the isms that are out there. God has asked us and God has required of us that we operate in the unity of the Spirit. When we operate in the unity of the Spirit, amen, you don't, you don't worry. It doesn't bother you, amen, that uh, the preacher preaches 10 minutes longer than you thought he would have. Amen. It doesn't bother you that they sang that song three different times, uh, amen, throughout the song service. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't bother you that whoever's here and whoever's not here and whatever this and whatever that, that doesn't bother you. You know why? Because I didn't come for you. I came for him. I come to let him know, Lord, you can count on me. Praise the Lord. I, you can count me as uh, true and faithful. I, I'll be among the faithful. Glory be to God. I, amen. At this time, I, amen, the nation of Israel was divided. I, but what was Elijah doing? I, he was bringing everything back together. I, I believe it's time for you and I to get back together. 
uh, not under the umbrella of the assemblies of God, not under the umbrella of the church of God or this, that, or the other, uh, but under the umbrella and the auspices of the Spirit of God uh, that will not leave you and I astray. Amen. Stand with me if you will. You know what? Again, going back to Romans 8, there's things that you and I don't know how to don't know how to navigate through, but the Spirit does. And when we come in alignment in the unity of the Spirit, He will enhance His church. Who's His church? The redeemed, the blood-bought, the born again. And you know what Jesus said? You must be born again.